Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Snow White. This is Series 2, Episode 50. I sit down with my neighbor, Max, and learn about his recent trips to Utah, Wisconsin, and Iceland. So sit back, relax. We're going to have a nice, long conversation out on the back porch. We're going to hear all about his travels, everything from trout in Wisconsin to cod and brown trout in Iceland. If you have any questions about these spots, I think they're all answered. He names his guiding services and the places he stayed. So other than that, uh, enjoy this one. I figure I could have sat down and he could have told me the story by myself, but I figure why not have him share it with y'all? So episode 50. All right. So we are on the back porch, Rutherford upon Fairfax. Max, how's it going this evening? Good. How are you, buddy? Not too bad. Cooling off on the back porch. It's going to be 92 tomorrow. I think that's going to be the last big hot day of the year, hopefully. And uh, so you live down the street. Yeah, I live uh, right down the street from you. All right. And we randomly met last year, and it turns out Max is a fisherman. So uh, you also happen to be a fly fisherman? Yeah, I've been fishing since I was eight. 
And you grew up in Wisconsin. Yeah, I did. I grew up in Wisconsin, which learning to fish in Wisconsin um, prepares you for other places since their back cast can be relatively non-existent. So you're pretty good at the roll cast? I mean, yeah, I'm also really good at getting my flies out of trees. We'll get into fishing around trees later with uh, part two of the story. So you took vacation this year out to Utah. Yeah, I was out in Utah with my dad. Um, He's the former chairman of the board of Trial Unlimited and currently is serving as their general counsel, um, John Christensen. And we went to the Flaming Gorge of Utah. The Flaming Gorge is a reservoir. Below it flows a tailwater um, through three sections. If I was going to throw a dart at Utah, where would I hit to get Flaming Gorge? Good question. Um, Or just consider like a rectangle. So, yeah. Well, Utah kind of looks like an L, but like a really fat L on the bottom part of the L. And it's in the pretty much like the most north east corner of Utah. Okay. The green actually flows through the Flaming Gorge out into Colorado and back into Utah. All right. It flows through three states right there. It goes Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, and back into Utah. So you're fishing the tailwater section, so constant cold temperature year-round? Yep. Real nutrient-rich water. And then after a certain distance, it no longer is a trout fishery. It becomes a warm water fishery. And the green flows in through canyon country in Utah and eventually turns into something that looks more like the Grand Canyon or the Colorado through Moab. Like the red sand rock, really heavily sedimented river, warmer water temperatures. But so how it got its name? Like the flaming red, irony? Well, the Flaming Gorge comes from the, yeah, the red rock canyon around um, the river, which is a, a unique place to fish. I likened it to the, the frying pan okay. outside of Aspen, which also flows through some red sandstone, but at much higher elevation. Um, this is a deeper canyon and uh, flows through red sandstone. Bighorn sheep. Up on the cliffs? Up on the cliffs. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've never seen one of the... No, I have seen bighorn. I've never seen mountain goat. I've seen bighorns. Yeah. Come out... I mean, you lived in Colorado. They come down and lick the salt off the roads. Right. Yep. Famous places in Glacier where they do that. Yeah. Yeah. So did you guys hire guys? Did you go out solo? We went with um, a guide service called Spinnerfall Guides. They run eight or nine guides on the river every single day throughout the season. And they were great. Um, Each guy had his own drift boat. and Hard body or raft? Uh, these were like some guys had fiberglass boats. These were like hard, hard drift boats right. that they were rowing. Um, and then some guys had aluminum ones, uh, and they were great. We fished the first day. Uh, it was just my dad and I, and we fished with a guy named Targi, who's uh, named after Chief Targi of the area. I don't know too much more about Chief Targi other than he was a Native American leader and his parents named him after him. I want to say there's something in the Orvis catalog named Targi. Yeah. Well, there's Grand Targi, which is in Idaho on the other side of the Teton. Okay. Um, it's a ski resort. 
And there's, I think there's a Targhee National Forest as well. I could be mistaken. Um, but he was a great guy. Part of a large Mormon family from Salt Lake. And uh, family man himself. Had four children. He was 27 years old. He did this during the season. Wow. Worked his tail off. And then during the off-season, uh, he had a friend, a close friend of his who was a general contractor, and they built houses. He was just killing it, doing this. 27 with four kids. Yeah. He was a great. busy man. Yeah. He, <laughs> he was. His uh, wife's a dentist. Yeah. He was great. How were, nice smile on the guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. My buddy married a dentist. His smile got better every time he went to visit her. <laughs> He, he, you know, he's the type of guy where he memorized my dad and my names, you know, and calls us by name, like, John, you're going to cast, you know, at 10 o'clock, Max, you're going to cast 6 o'clock, this distance from the bank, blah, blah, kept the drift, you know, so we were a drag fee drift. That was something I had done and hadn't done in a long time, or I'd only done once before on the Bighorn, was fly fishing from a drift boat where... You cast your line out. You're fishing dry flies mostly. Right? Is there a hatch you're matching or like hopper? Yeah. So there was a, we were flies. there during the yellow sally hatch, which is a species of small stonefly. And they have a, like a red belly and kind of a yellow hue to their wings. So fishing dry flies um, at about, I don't know, what's like a, it was a pretty decent cast, like 40 yards, right? Like it's feet. Yeah. Like, yeah. 40 feet, 40 feet, 40 feet. Like that was, that felt like a pretty decent cast for me to make. Well, I know there's people that can cast further. Um, so, uh, and the guide would keep the boat just going the same current at the same speed as the current and kind of position it with a certain stroke that he called the crab crab row or the crab stroke move the boat laterally in the river okay. to and for um and you just watch your fly and this you know with any luck a triangle like a golden triangle would appear out of the out of the river and take your fly so you're just hook. blind casting to fishy spots no you're or you're sight casting them the feeding well like so pick one out. during the peak of the hatch you know, you'd see, you'd be looking down river and you would see a fish that was rising. So you could set up you and the guy in the back's flies so that they drifted over where that fish was rising. That was successful. But a lot of the times you were just drifting along with your flies cast towards the side of the river, anywhere from six to, you know, two or three feet from within the bank. And the fish would come out of nowhere from out of, of two feet of water, a foot and a half of water. And we're talking 18 to 24 inch brown and rainbow trout. Not bad. It just goes to show how well camouflaged they are when they're actually sitting on the bottom, out of the current, you know, behind in a divot or behind a rock or in front of a rock or whatever. And these flies, are they ones your guides tied, like specifically for that area? Um, yeah, or, you know, there was always like the do you buy or do you tie amongst guides? Um, you know, the more motivated guides tie all their own flies. I'd say all the guides that we had could tie and did tie, but didn't always have the time to nope. tie, right? So they'd go and buy. Um, but uh, but it was mostly like a wounded 
where they called it a wounded Sally. It was a stonefly, an adult version of the yellow or the yellow Sally stonefly that had been messed up, or like, you can imagine kind of like a crumpled up, right. exhausted fly on the surface after it made it. Easy pickings. Yeah. Five weight, floating uh, line. Yep. Fishing five weight, but interesting enough, we were using larger tippet than I would have expected. So, growing up in Wisconsin on the cold water streams of southwestern Wisconsin. and the Driftless? Yeah, in the Driftless, nope. which is, by the way, for those listening, a fabulous place to fish. If you like to catch lots of fish in a day, talking 30 to 40 brown trout, 8 to 17 inches, mostly 8 to 12 inches. You got spoiled growing up there. I mean, yeah, I did. But, again, not always easy casting, you know. But, um, but anyways, so we would use really really small tippet out there, really clear streams, really spooky fish. And I don't know whether these fish get fished so much or if it's just a, a law of numbers and the guides tie on larger tippet because they know they lose less fish that way, so they land more fish per client as opposed to, you know, depending on who the client is and their ability to play the fish on smaller tippet or not. I don't know. Um, but we were using like 3x, 6 pounds, right? I don't, I don't, I don't even know. fish that stuff. Yeah, well. I did in Colorado, but it was like a 10 year old spool of <laughs> 4x. I mean, usually 4x is all you need. Yeah. But, um, but I, I was just surprised. I was like, oh, dude, just crawling on me. Oh, you got a yellow Sally on you? I don't know, man. So my daughter was holding the hand trowel. And she wanted to walk in through the, the screen door here and had it sticking out in front of her. And the screen door closed and it went right through the door. So there's a big hole down there. Oh, man. There's a gap in the door, but, yeah, stuff comes through that thing. It's going to happen. It'll happen to me someday. You do have a pretty cool screen in porch. I yeah. feel like I'm in a lodge. <laughs> I'm over there. It's nice because it's like... It's All the tw- brick and hardwood. 20, 20 feet off the ground. Yeah. We're sitting in uh, 15-year-old pine ikea furniture that's held together by screws hey. you've got like plush cushy stuff back there yeah that was that was my wife's choice I, I originally fought her on it now i am very happy yeah all right so you're drifting down how long was your uh was your day what, you, what time did you got put in uh well so we fished three days um which was nice it was my dad myself another fa- father-son duo and a bunch of other guys from the um, Milwaukee Trout Unlimited chapter. Uh, we did three days, and um, each day was actually pretty long. We put on early at about 7.30, and we weren't getting off until 4.30, 5. Hold on a second. Keep talking. I'll be back. Okay. We got a dog barking issue. And, uh, basically, we'd get on before most of the boats went down, and we were getting off after most of them had already taken out, which goes to speak for Spinner Falls' diligence in, you know, really getting out there and getting after it and giving their clients Mm -hmm. the best experience that 
they can have for the money that they pay for these trips. And they were experts at keeping the fly in the areas where they thought the fish were. They go down these rivers all day, every day, and they know their holes, and they know how to position the boats, they know where to eddy out, they know when to get creative. It was cool. Um, but I have a unique experience from hanging out with these guys. Uh, so in college, part of my, my college experience, I guess, was going out in the summertime. I had a buddy who said to me at the end of freshman year, hey, my older sister knows this raft company in California. You, and then they have this guide school that you can go to for like 800 bucks for two weeks. And if you are good enough or they like you, then they'll hire you on to their rafting company for whitewater rafting for the, for the summer. And I said, uh, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Sign me up. So at 19, both of us, we packed up the car after college and drove from Colorado to California. Where in California? Uh, Central Valley. So the company had permits on 13 different rivers, going from the Kern in the south, which flows like to Bakersfield, kind of. The Bakersfield Massacre from uh, Schwarzenegger movie was that? Running Man? Uh, that, that was like slightly below my time. Okay. Before, rather. Um, all the way north to the, to the uh, Oregon-California border on the Klamath. They had a permit up there. So, um, when I got out to Utah, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you spend all day on the river with these guys, and they're like bros, so, you know, you're just shooting the breeze. And so we had Targi the first day, and this guy Brian the second day, and the third day. Um, on the second day, I was with not my dad. I was on my dad with my dad on the first and the third and the last day. But on the second day, I was with the other son of the father-son um, pair, whose guy whose name was Zach, a couple years younger than me. Good guy, general contractor in Northfield, Minnesota. Um, so I was like, but it was kind of like, and Brian's like a young guy to guide. He's like a young guy. So things were a little bit loose, like a little bit looser, you know, we were just like goofing around more. I spent more time kind of chilling because Zach was new at fishing and hadn't really torn into some serious lips yet, you know. He had only caught one trout, and um, so I just wanted to give him his shot, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was, like, chilling, rocking cigars in the back of the boat, just, like, hanging out. And uh, so Brian and I were shooting the breeze. I'm like, yeah, I used to be a raft guide, you know, and, like, I like rowing. I used to row gear rafts like support gear rafts for larger paddle trips on the Tuolumne and uh and then at the like at the end of the river you pretty much have a long flat water section for two miles that's fishable but isn't amazingly productive water before you get to the takeout and he was like so do you want to row because I have to like you they literally have to like row out to make time and I was like shit dude whatever even though it's just like I'm doing your dirty work. It gives me a chance to get yeah. back on the sticks and nostalgia. Like, and uh, fish start rising, like a little bit further down. Like I rode through some open, like windy flat water that sucked, whatever, and it caught some more current. And sounds like my day today. <laughs> yeah, right. So windy. Oh god. And 
And so Zach's in the front, and and Brian's in the middle of the guy, or the guide's in the back, and I'm in the middle of rowing. And there's fish rising, so they both start casting to them, and um, and Zach. And so I'm trying to do what they're doing. We're keeping the boat going the same speed as the current, and uh, you know I'm not doing it as effectively as Brian would have, but like not, it's not like halfway bad drift sometimes. And sure enough homie Zach in the front of the boat like catches a 17 inch brown on dry fly while I was rowing and we both like flipped out we were like no way this is crazy it was great great so you did the same stretch each day Mm, we did the same stretch the last two days so you're like all right I missed a fish there I'm gonna like take a mental like image in my head of where I lost it. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me, let me try to explain the, the green. And this is why it has this industry of, of dry fly fishing up there, especially during the yellow Sally hatch and the cicada hatch, like cicadas, like big ass freaking cicadas hatch out there. And people use crazy dry flies for them and slam. Um, it strikes per, hour if you're like fishing hard doing what the guide says like concentrating you're gonna get uh 20 to 30 strikes per hour assuming that you miss some of them don't land some right. of that enough fish. to keep you from daydreaming you're you gotta stay on point right but each of these fish is i didn't catch hardly any small fish i caught like five or six dinks out of you know, me and my dad combined 50 plus fish the whole time. So it's great. Good man. Yeah. And dry, no streamers, no droppers, straight up classic dry. We do, we do droppers in the, in the morning. And I was using a Chernobyl ant dropper combination and I was killing them on the Chernobyl ant this random big piece of foam some sparkly hackle and like a big orange post how that was edible to these fish that are keyed in on yellow sally or like specific species hatching caddis hatching at one point and stoneflies the other i don't know how about the food you guys go out for breakfast beforehand or do like power bars oh shit um am i not supposed to cuss we can always edit it out. It's not too bad. <laughs> um, the food was, you know, average. We we ate out twice at the restaurant at the quote-unquote resort that we stayed at in Dutch John, Utah. For anybody who wants to know, Dutch John, Utah is the hub for the Royal Gorge. Okay. Um, for the fly fishing of the Royal Gorge. And for other recreational opportunities in the Royal Gorge. I think there's bass and uh, tiger musky fishing on some of these reservoirs in Utah. In fact, Targi, the guide I mentioned before. Guide first day. um, Yeah, guide first day. He used to, he said he used to have his own business guiding for tiger musky on, I don't know the names of some of, these reservoirs in the Salt Lake area, especially up in the, like, towards the U.S. I didn't even know that was a thing out there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm assuming tiger muskies are 
cross between a northern and a musky? I forget, honestly. I do know they're sterile. They're pretty damn cool looking. They've got like the turquoisey green with the bars. I'm going to look it up. All right. Um, So he guided for tiger musky flies uh, using a powerboat on um, some of these reservoirs, which I thought was interesting. I had never... I have never even heard of that. Considered that type of okay. Now, now the rumors. So, if okay. you want to get a beer out there, yeah, can you still? You can't get cold beer like at a grocery store, like Trader Joe's up our street. Um, Isn't that awesome? How close we are to Trader Joe's. Yes, that was so key. And a large emporium of to- the large emporium total, of wine. total wine. Oh my! I got some great uh, semi seco cava there the other day. So I'm just looking at uh, Wikipedia, the source for all of my biological knowledge. Yeah. The tiger mus the tiger musk lunge, commonly called tiger muskie, is a carnivorous fish and is usually sterile. Hybrid offspring of the true musk lunge and the northern pike. So I don't know if they really So were you I told you that where you're going hunting I don't want to name that reservoir down here. Yep. There are muskie in there. Oh, yeah? Because the guy was not stocking the proper lake in northern Virginia. Oh, you told me that. But they're mostly in the tributaries that come into Yeah. Anytime you want to take the drift boat up, I say, well, we got to put your outboard on my boat. It'll be so much faster. Well, we have to put your outboard on my boat so I can hunt Aquaquan. Do you want to trade motors? Do you want to talk about trading motors or something? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we could trade motors. We're swapping not out. for not for keeps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But for a period of time. Um, absolutely, dude. We can, we can get up to, to Fletcher's so fast and fish out of my boat in like April. Well, hey, Jason, you know what we're talking about because he's coming back down. Absolutely. Oh yeah, he's J- the producer, producer Jason. Oh yeah. I, I'm not, that's not the name of the, the microphone here. And someone in Michigan asked me if this was a taser. She's like, what is that? You going to tase me? I'm like, lady, that's my microphone. You're doing a podcast in Michigan? Remember how to drive up there for the boat? Uh, I was gone for like two days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, so, so, uh, so what about lunches? They cook for you, cold sandwiches, burritos? They all brought their own gear. So it was interesting. Just a little side comment about the economics of being a fly fishing guide that I didn't know. Um, So when I was raft guiding, I worked for a company called Whitewater Voyages, which is a totally nice, fine company. I don't know if they still exist. They probably do. They they were successful or whatever. If anybody wants to use Whitewater Voyages, that's great. Um, But the rafting company would be like, here's your... There was a guy who packed the lunches or sometimes we pack the lunches, but it all came from a warehouse of food that they ordered through, I'm assuming, a food distributor. Okay. Right? Like, here's your lunch meat for Kinda 12 like, people okay. on your trip. Here's your meat. Here's your... We had avocados and tomatoes and bread and stuff. They made sandwiches. Great. And then the extra food was put in a guide house, and you could grub that as a 20-some-year-old, you know, camping at this place all summer. And basically, for free, if you're willing to eat sandwiches all the time. Which but one thing I've noticed, my clients, they don't want to eat lunch. I come home with sides like mac and cheese or potato salad or coleslaw, potatoes. And 
and uh, you know, like two bags of chips and a whole like pack of cookies and, and whatever else I brought out there. Do you think like, it's because they're too excited to keep fishing? Yeah, they just want to fish. I believe it's like it. their day out. Like, uh, and people will do for like a four hour. They'll bring sandwiches and snacks. And, like the guys today were eating Oreos, but most people will just bring food and they don't even get to touch it. And then they realize that yeah, four hours was over that fast. Well, but don't you find yourself basically fasting sometimes when you're just like in oh, intensely yeah. fishing? Like I said, when you got here, that was the first time I'd eaten in eleven hours. Right. Wegman's bacon and cheddar bagel. My old man does it too. Yeah. I mean, it's not advisable. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Especially, you know, like, since you're out there and you're sweating and, you know, you need burning calories. Drinking water is great, but you also need to replace electrolytes. Yep. Mostly comes from food. Um, so anyways, yeah, I mean, it was like stuff that they had brought. Okay. So this is what I want to say. I was used to companies, you know, providing this stuff. So I thought going into it, not that I thought that much about it, but when I looked back, I was assuming that Spinnerfall would be like, okay, here you go, guys. Here's the stuff you need to give to your clients. You probably know this already from being a guide, although you're more of like an independent contractor. Right. You don't work for a company. All solo. Um, but they had, they owned their own boats, they owned their own trucks, they paid for their own gas, they bought their own lunches, they tied or bought their own flies, and they got a commission or, a, you know, their, their, their fee, what they got from the guide service, and then a tip. Um, and it seemed like, you know, they were doing fine. I'm not knocking like how much loot they made or anything like that. But I was, I was just taken aback by the fact that they had to spend their own money to buy the lunches when they right. work for a company. What, what good is the company? Yeah, like when I worked at Breckenridge Outfitters, you booked a trip, and we'd say turkey, ham, vegetarian, and then Gian Pietro's next door. You know, we we'd put in a little order. Everyone got chips, you know, apple, orange, bottle something to drink, like a Gatorade or water, and a really awesome Italian sandwich. And that was it. And then that was just, I mean, included with the rate. But yeah, if I make someone like, if I go out and spend like 40 bucks on a lunch, and one guy's like, I don't need bread, and he threw like half the sandwich in the water, I'm like, dude, that was like fresh baked down at the bakery down the street. Yeah, that was that was a handmade boule. Yeah. Or boule, I don't know how you say it. But yeah, I'm like, oh, dude. So that was just the sidebar. I mean, for what it's worth, just throwing out the political opinion. Right. Like, I don't think that that should be, that these guys should have to do that. they've got class. enough to worry about. They're getting they're everything pretty, together and ready for you. And there's a lot of skill that goes into the oarsmanship they have in terms of keeping a 
1,400 pound, I'm just estimating, but I know it's over 1,000 pound, aluminum drift boat going the speed of the current, even though there's a drop, you know, a certain foot drop per mile that gravity well, What would you classify the, like, rapids as? Uh, the highest one was technically a class three. Most of them are class one. And so at low water, that looks like small riffles with some rocks that you have to avoid. Okay. It's just that the difference between a raft and a drift boat is that, and especially since these drift boats are these guys' drift boats. They're not going to ding them up. But they can, you know, you can seriously mess up a drift boat by, well, when it gets to be high water, um, they can swamp them. Yeah. You know, because they don't have bilge pumps in them. They have... Uh, the rapids are dumping in them. Yeah. Um, so they got to be... They got to be careful. And at low water, you scrape so much, you're going to scrape your bottom yeah. off. And aluminum, then... man, you get stuck on a rock, you'll spin in a circle all day. That metal's sticky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the rocks actually weren't very slippery either. Which I so you like. got out of the boat? Yeah, co- like several times. Um, they had these little automatic anchors you could drop off the back. And there was a little cleat in front of where the person who was rowing was. Foot pedal? Yeah. Do you have that in your boat? No, I'm on its side because okay. my wife wouldn't let me pay the extra for an electric winch. Okay. And after rowing all day, we dropped anchor at one spot, and I was just like, "Oh, I can take a break." And then I, the anchor was down like 40 feet. I'm just like, "How long is your row?" We did a four hour trip. No, I mean, so you oh. row for the anchor? What, 60 to 70? Yeah, you know, we get we get through Fletcher's easily. It's pretty pretty darn deep up at Fletcher's. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. That's why the, I mean, there's 60, 70 pound cats up there. They sit on the bottom of that water. Yeah, so it was, uh... Your dad had a good time? Yeah, he had a good time. He was a little sick, unfortunately, but he powered through. Just like busting a Hillary Clinton trying to power (laughs) through. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but he's a champ, man. He's a trout slayer. Like he was going through just pictures on his phone at the time. I'm just like, holy crap. Like Yeah, he does well. Um I had some pictures that I was gonna bring up. Even though we can't see them. Let's see here. We should have a Kiersey Nash play date so we can go fish out in the mountains one day. Yeah? Okay. Meet up with the ladies. The ladies and the dogs. Oh, uh, this is Iceland. Oh, wait, no, not yet. Oh, sorry, dude, did I bust that? Did I mess that up? <laughs> yeah, that's some high walls. Um, guides use these long nets. I was about to say, dude, is that the oar or is that the, that thing is? It's a net. It's a really long net. Very wide. Shallow draft so that they can keep the fish in the current if they need to. And as you can see, this is like a big hook jaw. Look at the kite Yeah, on we'll that. probably use that one as the the picture it's a nice he's got a cash register jaw and uh the camera lens is wet but it looks cool right yeah it does it's got a little halo around it and before i took this picture the guides i said what do you want to do with my rod see my dad's behind me it's not balanced on your shoulder is it and um no it's stuck inside my life jacket all right it's so much better than balancing on your shoulder balancing on your shoulder is not okay this was one of the few times where we actually um, saw a group of rising fish below a small riffle. Look at how flat the water is. 
There's just a small riffle. You said sheep. What other wildlife do you see around there? Um, one group saw a ringtail. Do you know what that animal is? Yeah, there's guys to work with the Breck Outfitters. He's like, man, I just got back from the, the Gunnison. He's like, there were lemurs down in there. <laughs> I mean, they kind of do look like that. But anyways, yeah, it had this bad... Um, Maybe we'll use that as the picture. Lens on it. That's not a bad one. No. But it, it definitely turned out to be like a, a, a little badass with the rod in the back of my life jacket. So anyways, the guide... Um, this was definitely like a solo What's fish. Up? Why you got one pant leg up? Uh, I don't. I have shorts on. I'm just in the water. I'm oh, okay. that. That's in the water. The uh, that that turned out to be a 19 inch fish. Nice. Um, that was like it was one of the times where it was all me. I was like, oh, there's some rising fish. He's like, you want to pull over? Yeah. And I just hopped up there, and uh, actually I saw this fish. The water was so shallow, and it chased another fish out of its lie so that it could be right in the in the feeding lie that it wanted. And I saw that movement, cast it right in front of it, and nailed it. It was a, definitely a nice sense of satisfaction. Last scenic river. Did you see any other people, other boats rolling through? Yeah, there were a couple other companies, but it wasn't super crowded. These are some... In the upper sections of the river, they have, in the A section, it goes from the dam downstream, it goes A, B, C. In the A section, they have a lot of, like, pleasure cruisers. Since it's only class three and mostly class one, um, they uh, they basically give anybody who has a credit card and, a, uh, and can rent a raft to, like, go down the river without a guide. Okay, then. See ya. Yeah. What kind of insurance do they have? I yeah, mean, it looks like my old boat. So those boats, they can hold up to dinging off rocks. They don't hold up to uh, like a five foot two girl with a point two zero alcohol T bone in it going sixty five miles an hour. Did that happen to you? That was my old drift boat. What? Yeah, I thought my aluminum boat was indestructible. That was after she took out four cars. Jesus. Another, nice. another brown I caught. Panorama. That's a cool picture. It doesn't look like it, but it is a class three rapid. We we had to actually walk it, which is was really easy. It was just like a trail on the side of the shore. And walk the boat too? No, the guides rode it, but they wanted us out because it was less weight and they would scrape less. There you go. There was one guy who had been doing it for 14 years, and he rode his clients down there just because he knew the lines. There's my old man. A nice rainbow. Some of the scenery. Another rainbow I caught. There's some trailers at the at the takeout. And uh, at the, on the third day, I drank this beer called 50 Caliber. So this goes to the Utah beer question. Yes. Um... I drank a beer out of a tall boy can called 50 Caliber, and as you might assume, it was um, small liquor. Yeah, I mean, it was like 8, if not 11% or something. I remember ordering it because I was like, I want that beer. It's the strongest one on the menu. And this is Utah. So sometime between when I used to hang out in Utah 10 years ago and climb, when I lived in Colorado, to now... They've made having something other than three two beer. Are you familiar with three uh-huh. two beer? Near beer. That's what I try to drink in Colorado. Right. And altitude. Even now? 
Oh yeah, man. I I don't get dehydrated up there. All right. Um, but they stopped selling it at the gas station next to my in-law, so I didn't get any. Well, it used to be in Colorado that you could only buy three two beer on Sunday. Now you can buy whatever type of beer, whenever. But I'm pretty sure you can't sell anything above three two at anything other than a liquor store. Okay. Like including grocery stores. Yeah, the grocery okay. store I remember always had near beer. So you have to go to a liquor store to buy. It's like Ohio. Yeah. Why can't it all just be like California where Safeway got their own brand of tequila? You get air, beer, wine, and liquor in the same shop, whatever you want. Wow. It's pretty cool. Like Rite Aid, I remember, had like Rite Aid brand vodka. Liquor. Like, the stuff that you wouldn't want to like clean your floors with. It looked pretty rough. Yikes. Like change back on a five for fifth. Well, I don't necessarily think it's that big of a deal that you have to go somewhere else besides the grocery store to get liquor. I think state liquor stores is taking it one level a little bit too far. But I don't necessarily... I'm not, when I go to the grocery store, I'm not necessarily looking to get a handle of Bacardi Limon. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll gladly go to the liquor store right next door. Anyways, Utah... They tax. Virginia tax is awful. I've, I actually have not yet bought liquor since I moved here. Oh, man. I, mean, I got to take you down to Batch 13 in... in 14th Street in D.C., that place is, you might recognize, like, four bottles in the store. It's just, the selection's amazing. I have to check it out. They sell really good uh, Bloody Mary mix, too. So then that's D.C., so it's not subject to Virginia's ABC liquor store. So they can have competitive pricing. Sure. Right. Um, So... What were we saying? Uh, the beer. Okay. ABV. Yeah. So sometime in between when I used to be in Utah and when I was there now, they must have made it legal to serve beer that was above 3.2 at restaurants. You can still, you can buy, you know, beer, craft beer, strong beer, wine, liquor, at Utah State liquor stores, or state alcohol stores, but you can't buy it at a supermarket at any time. So, whereas in Colorado, um, you could, you could, there were liquor stores, and you couldn't buy anything more than three, two in a grocery store or whatever. There are no liquor stores in Utah, they're all state liquor stores. Okay. That doesn't mean you can't get it, but the locations are relatively limited, especially with it being a relative, big, a very rural state. Um, so it's not like there was a state liquor store in Dutch John, a town of... I wonder if they have an oven there. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't help but be thinking along those lines yeah. when I was there. Anything Dutch just makes me go that way. And you're referring to the cast iron camping tool. Right. That you can use for baking purposes. Also known as when you <laughs> fart and you pull the blankets <laughs> over your wife's head. Or anybody's head for that matter. Yes. <laughs> I forget what it's like. It's been so long. <laughs> I mean, you could be on a sleepover when you're 12. Yeah. In fact, that's the problem. Or just all of us in one room in Pulaski. <laughs> Sorry, guys. 
Oh, anytime you get more than six guys in a room, you gotta give out charcoal pill. It's man. just gonna be a natural Dutch oven. Yeah, you gotta get everyone charcoal pills. So there were no state liquor stores around there. So what we did, and the, the grocery stores, we didn't want to drink through two beer because, frankly, I'm not that into it. Right. I'm not even into like 4.0 beer, which would be a Corona or a Mother of Light or something but like that. I did. If I could find Odell's in a six pack in Colorado, I'd buy that because it's Odell's. True, but that's like, I mean, that counts as a craft beer to me. And that you can't get out here. No. Um, I, when I was, I should say this, when I was 16, I brought two growlers of Odell's back on an airplane. 17. In a suitcase? No, just in my fingers. Like, I had a day pack, and then I had two growlers of Odell's. I got on the airplane, put them in the overhead. Like, Must have been, like without anything around them? Yeah, it just said Odell's Brewery on it. That in a bag or anything? No, just a shopping bag. Not at all. Just no one questioned me. That is ballsy, <laughs> dude. That is ballsy. How'd you get? Oh, that was pre nine eleven. Oh yeah, this was uh, this was ninety July ninety four. So, yeah, I brought two dollars of beer back with me. <laughs> Looked like iced tea. I don't know. I just didn't really think about it. The last time I was in Crested Butte, I flew home with the pizza on the airplane. They made me put that through the uh, x-ray machine. That's hilarious. I was like, dude, if I'm going to be flying all day, I'm going to have a pizza with me. Sure enough. Makes sense. Yeah. Anything else on Utah? Um, so, yeah, to regress, the, the way we saw that is the road we took from Salt Lake, I-80 East, um, went into Montana, and then we had to take a state or a U.S two-lane highway south back into Utah. So we, like, went into the corner that's missing of Utah on the okay. northeast. Yep. And we, like, crossed its north-south border on that corner and then crossed back in its east-west border. Um, which is interesting. But while we were in Wyoming, we passed through the first town in Wyoming, which was maybe generous 10,000 people, most likely five or 2,000 people. And it had a huge liquor emporium, you know, from all of the communities in Utah that were in, you know, that was probably closer to go there than it was to go to the state liquor store in Salt Lake or wherever the next biggest town was. Yeah. Um, but, uh... If we're in D.C., we're going to, you know, if we need to stock our bar, you buy it there and drive. Really friendly folk. Uh... Obviously, Salt Lake City has a significant Mormon influence, and I have to give it up to the staff of Spinnerfall. Most of the river guys that I've met have been, um, you know, either young guys looking for a cool job to have before they buckle down, or like, um, you know, like guys that are really serious and authors and stuff or guys that are like um, I don't know but not necessarily dudes that have four children and got married when they were 21 hard working family man right. he's doing it for the living yeah and uh, not the glory you gotta, you gotta give it up but yeah but also at the end of the day who wouldn't want to be outside make, exercising making this making money right um, 
but it was just different, you know? And maybe it's just, like, prejudice, but, like, what's the typical archetype of a guy? It's definitely not you, my friend, like, married with daughter and home. It's, like, dude, like, maybe, yeah. Yeah, like, like RV. Maybe was married once, or if they're, like, older, like, definitely ex-wife. You know, that's the, I'm talking about the stereotype, right? Like, hard-drinking, fucking solo dude. And this, this, these, these guys are not that. That was cool. Speaking of that, you want to you want to go to, like, a whiskey or something? What? You got to work tomorrow? Uh, yeah, but whatever, dude. I got all right. it all planned. I'll get us a, I'll get us a, a weed dram. All right, so, uh, hold a thought. Pause for a moment. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to have a little bit of Highland Park 12. All right. While we go from Utah to a couple hours, maybe what, a little bit across the globe. Mm-hmm. So not only were you in Utah this summer, you did also go to Wisconsin. I did. I didn't have the chance to go to the Driftless, and I got a plug, uh, one of my favorite fly shops, the Driftless Angler in um, Viroqua, Wisconsin. How's their tying department? Uh, I think it's I think it's located in a remote location okay. in Sri Lanka. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know where they get their flies from. No, like the actual material to tie with. Oh, uh, I mean, honestly, when I've gone in there, I haven't ever bought any tying material. I've always just um, talked to the guy. I wish I knew his name. My dad knows his name. They're homies. Um, the owner is a good guy, but I've never gone in there for tying material. I've always gone in there to see what the reports are. He runs a guide outfit out of it too, and um, buy some flies, get some, get some beta, get some information. Yeah. So why is it called the Driftless? It has to do with something with the topography from the glaciers. It does retreating ten thousand. Yeah. So you know the. In geologic time, there were, after what we would know as, like, the time of the dinosaurs when it was really hot, the planet went through several periods of cooling. The, uh, Miocene or Eocene epoch? I don't know. That was 10,000. I don't know. Okay. So. It was colder. Yeah, yeah, it was colder, but it was cold for a period of time, and then it wouldn't be necessarily hot, but it would be warm enough, so glaciers that were a mile thick in North America would recede and and grow and recede and grow. Um, Scrape everything out? Yeah. And and uh, and several different times, right? So geologic evidence tells us that glaciers came down in western Minnesota and western Iowa and central Minnesota and central Iowa and then to the east, they came down through Michigan and kind of Indiana and down through Wisconsin. But they missed the southwest corner of Wisconsin, the southeast corner of Minnesota, and the northeast corner of Iowa in a small geographic area called the Driftless. And the name comes from the fact that the till that a glacier pushes in front of mm-hmm. it is called drift, glacial drift. 
It can be pushed into long rows, depending upon how the ice flows. That'll create like a kind of a, a pebbly ridge that can be several hundred feet tall. And that's like all made out of what's called glacial drift. So a driftless means that it had no glacial drift. It never... It's just where they had, terminated and there wasn't yeah, any... it just so happened that the a pocket of... I don't know. I'm not a geologist, but something about the driftless made it so that there was no glaciation. And it's not it being higher in elevation, right? If you think about a mountain and a glacier comes, maybe, like, the mountain still stays, but it would still get covered by a glacier. This had no glaciers on top of it. So, unlike most of the Midwest, which is relatively flat with buttes here and there and other geologic features but relatively flat or rolling very sandy or heavily sedimented soil or like lots of glacial till in it mm -hmm. um, this still has exposed sandstone rock faces the driftless does and lots of different valleys that uh, time has allowed rivers drainages to carve large gullies in it and they call them in the french word for them is coulee uh i believe it was the french trappers or explorers that first came to the area and it reminded of them of the same geologic feature back in france which is the coulee like a small glen right and imagine ridges no higher than i don't know 200 feet on either side of you all forested, leading to valley bottoms with a trout stream running through it, and you know, several hundred acre farms going down the stretch of the drainage. What the DNR has done there is they've bought large patches of easement on all of these streams. So they say, hey, uh, Mr. Southwestern Wisconsin farmer, we're going to... Um, proposed to buy a permanent easement from you for X amount of dollars. And this is going to say that people can come and fish. Sometimes it's special regulations water. They can only catch and release fish, or they can only have these certain amount of these certain species. And they can only be within 40 feet of the center line of the river. And you can get this money. And they say, well, sure, whatever. I'm not a fisherman. Here you go. And they've bought these long easements. So it seems like you're fishing in private property and sometimes you're jumping over electric fences. Remember this one time I jumped over an electric fence and it went through my waders. Lovely. And it made my hamstring contract to the point where I fell and fell like on it somewhat. Don't tase me, bro. <laughs> um, and so it's just, a, it's just a very different type of place to fish. All pretty much exclusively brown trout except for at the headwaters of some streams there's some small rookie fishing yeah so you got some fishing done up there yeah i lived in wisconsin from 2007 to 2013 well 2007 to 2011 and then 2013 to 2015 so and then you're like i want to move to where there's really bad traffic <laughs> and, no and glasgow's what six miles away it takes me 18 minutes to get there. So you're going early. It's still dark. Yeah. I don't want to know what the traffic would be like through Annandale at oh 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you, you would make a right 
off of uh, Ollie. There'll probably be less traffic in Guinea. Was I think Little River across the Beltway to back look for a hot sec to Columbia Pike and then Columbia Pike um, to basically my school. Yeah, you can always do old Columbia Pike and go really slow with all the speed humps that they put in the weekend after the girl hit my car or my boat. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, from Wisconsin, come back here, get in an airplane, and, and where do you go? Um, my wife and my our 15-month-old went to Iceland. Was that spur of the moment, something you've always been wanting to do? You want to go find gnomes? Yeah. I mean, basically, we've been really into, like, gnome culture lately, and we've wanted to... Absolutely. You know, get more into like fairies and elves, so we decided on Iceland. There's a uh, Kiersey's not sure if it's a uh, what's she called? She doesn't see chipmunks, chipmunk hole or gnome up the street under someone's driveway. She's because gnomes don't show themselves. It's from Ben and Holly's Tiny Kingdom, or okay. Little Kingdom. You'll find out. I mean, I will. Just remember, no Caillou. These are things that I'm yeah. going to figure yeah, out. Yeah, so she's all into. It. Um, no, we're not into gnomes or fairies or elves. Uh, before I wasn't I, sure if he was telling me the truth earlier or not. Now <laughs> I know. Before I met my wife, she wanted to go to Iceland, and likewise, before I met her, I wanted to go to Iceland. We had that in common while we were dating. We got married, and soon after we got married, I started my first teaching or a new teaching job, so we couldn't take a honeymoon, and then. We had a baby, so that kind of put off the honeymoon. And so we decided to go use the resources that we had for set aside for the honeymoon to go to Iceland with our baby. So it wasn't really a honeymoon, but it was definitely like we were acting, we were spending money like it was a honeymoon, I guess you could say. Iceland is very expensive. They eat a lot of hot dogs there, right? It was weird. How did you know that? Did I I'm, tell you that? No, I married a woman who knows everything about food around the world. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was going to get to this later, but... <laughs> I, uh, and then there's the fermented shark. You could get hot dogs at... And I'll explain this later when we're talking about food, but, like, at gas stations. And gas stations were big-time eater... It doubled as eateries, like, the place where the... On this one road that just does the... It's like the beltway, but around the whole... Iceland. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely a lot of hot dogs. So my wife and my son and I went over there, and we we first planned a route, driving a rental car along what's called the Ring Road. Do you drive like we do here or like they do over in England? No, we drive out, they drive on the right side of the road, but uh, all rental cars were manual. And I know how to drive a manual. It has been, it had been like, I don't know, 15 years since I right. consistently driven a, a manual. A couple of gear grinders, then you get it back. Yeah. I mean, I think in between there, I drove like my friend's M3 and like managed to not mess it up while I was doing that. And that was my only practice in like 10 years. Uh, but I, you know, whatever, you get the hang of it. Um, stalled out in a couple of roundabouts. But there was not a, a ton of traffic, especially for the first part of our trip. So There's probably more people, right, in this immediate area 
than there are on the entire island. Yeah, okay, so there's 300, don't call me on, but 300 or 350,000 people on the entire island, which, I mean, it's not huge, but um, it's big enough, so that's, like, not a very densely populated area ever, right? I mean, there's a, there's Reykjavik, which had a, a cool downtown, like, a hip spot, you know, um, commerce, business, it was a, it's a port, and it wasn't very much bigger than Madison, Wisconsin. Like, no, actually, because Madison's like 500,000 people. Like, it's probably more like Appleton, which is 20,000 people. Right? That's like what it felt like. Um, much more cosmopolitan, obviously, but in terms of, like, the geography of the city, it didn't feel very big at all. Uh, so we drove what's called the Ring Road, which isn't necessarily the same number of roads. It's not like you drive, like, highway, whatever, the whole way. But for the most part, it's it's Route 1, and then you have to go on some other roads. Um, but it goes around the entire island, and it's the coastal areas that have most of the population. The interior of Iceland is freaking gnarly. And the roads that go off of the ring road, for the most part, are what are called F-roads. And they um, are what we would consider Jeep trails. They'll maul your car. Yeah. Well, but, you know, like a stock is land Is F like expletive? I don't know. <laughs> like, like they're going to F your car up? Oh, F. Yeah. Why did I turn off on this road? Um, they're very specific in saying, like, most rental cars are not for F-roads, and it's pasted right on your dash. Are they driving, like, people that live there, like, Landys, Range Rover? Dude, yeah. And off-road culture there was nuts. Jacks on everything. Like, 40-inch wheels. Stuff that Total, would not... Total, like, clearance of the wazoo. Stuff that would not be legal. But it was, it was to the point where... It's like where, lunar landscape. Yeah. Imagine that. But, here's the deal... I read that a stock Land Cruiser, which is a, a burly vehicle, you know, like, let's say you get, like, a stock Land Cruiser with the bigger wheels and the big engine and the off-road package with the the pipe for the air intake that mm-hmm. goes up high and stuff. Big old snorkel. Right. Um, that is enough to get you around the entire country. So then, that's what I read, Right. Except for, like, one F-road out of 100. And so why do you need something with 40-inch wheels? Like, it just becomes gratuitous. And a lot of these were American brands, too. Expeditions that they bring over and then put these kits on. I mean, I want to... Maybe they just got the MTV show where they pimp your car. A lot of it, that is. Exhibit? It's like pimping your ride Iceland style. Uh Um, But so we had, like, a Hyundai wagon a version they don't even market in the States called the I-30. It had roughly the same clearance as a Toyota Camry, but looks like a Subaru, which was annoying because not all the roads are paved. What did you do about car seat? We got a car seat. Okay. Yeah. But it was like a different car. It was like a European car seat. Not that European car seats are bad, but it was like old school European that didn't look as amazing as the car seat we have from 
you know, whatever. Yeah, if you looked at Kiersey's car seat, you'd be like, that thing is so primitive. And it's only like four years old. I don't know. He was fine. Um, you take pictures to remind him, be like, yeah, like, Kiersey doesn't remember. Aust- I talked about Australia the other day. She's like, I don't remember going there. I'm like, yeah, that's why I took pictures. You're going to be pissed. I tried to take I tried to take a bunch of pictures. Both Christina and I were like, we have to take a bunch of pictures. Um, so we drove around the the ring road, and um, we first headed to the most northwestern part of Iceland that kind of hangs off the mainland. It's called the West Fjords, and it's a group of fjords and peninsulas in the west of Iceland, as the name would imply. And, therefore, there are lots of drainages that have naturally occurring salmon runs. A lot. Its proximity to Reykjavik was, you know, relatively close. Crappier roads, and I don't think as amazing as salmon fisheries, but salmon fisheries nonetheless. We definitely saw a lot of salmon farms, like big circle enclosures. Oh, gross. Yeah. And that is, that's like the dirt version of what's actually swimming up the rivers. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised next time I go into giant, you know, or like off-season or whatever salmon off-season is and just see like Iceland. Oh, yeah. I may or may not have read FOIA requests that had to do with what happens when you feed mice the meat coloring dye that you feed salmon to make sure if it was safe for humans or not. I remember there was one guy at, at Giant that was like, yeah, this is better because there's no dye added. It was still like farm-raised. What do you mean there's dye added? I didn't know there was dye added. It's like flamingos in zoos. They got to have... Uh, yeah, they got... Yeah, sure. Okay. Yep. Um, so were you planning on fishing or is it like me or we're going somewhere with the family and I take gear with me? So the, 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 the trip was started because, you know, Christina's really into hiking. She's not as much into fishing. Um, Iceland has like really good hiking, like, you know. Literally just like walking through the wilderness because the scenery is so amazing. So it's like you go for an hour and a half hike and you're going to like be hiking behind a waterfall and like appearing in like this hidden glen and stuff. You know, things that we would have national parks built around especially occurred mm-hmm. there like that's everywhere. Just, Every, that's the standard. That's awesome. Um, and a lot of this is private property that people are just like, you know, or the government has bought their version like Wisconsin? Of, of an easement. Yep. And the people are like, whatever, I'm a sheep rancher, I don't really care. Except sheep cheese curds. Not real, like, sheep, like, cheese curds. <laughs> sheep were everywhere. Um, anyways, sidetrack. So, land ownership is different there, though. Here, apart from here in Virginia, where we have, you know about the King's Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. We had Bo Beasley on about two years ago talking about that. Okay. Are you... We're new to the podcast. Okay. Um, so apart from that, and especially my experience in the Midwest, not as much in the West because water laws in the West get kind of screwy too, but uh, the actual waterway itself is public land. So if you're floating, 
or in Wisconsin, I don't know about here in Virginia, if you're walking below the hot the high water line on a navigable water, you are on public land. In Virginia, you have to keep your feet wet. It's always a good idea. Jackson, as long as you're dry, the stretch of Virginia shoreline from Little Falls, Virginia, to just below the Wilson Bridge, that's all owned DC to the high tide mark. But then, but yeah, the whole Potomac is Maryland owns it to the high tide. The rest Man, of it—that's BS. But you can buy a Maryland license and not have to worry about a Virginia if you're only fishing the shoreline. Yeah, but when it comes to duck hunting, you can't hunt unless you have a person from Maryland in your boat. Which makes can you no rent sense. a person for the day? Well, it, there's got to be some kid that'll do it. It doesn't have to be it. a hunter. It could yeah, just, just be some kid on Craigslist that'll sit there and play Pokemon on the water. Yeah, but I actually don't want have, some random kid in your yeah, boat. I don't give a shit about that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only no, there, there used to be a kid that his summer job was he'd go down to the most southern metro station on the blue line and he would get out and get a slug line to go up HOV on 95 and he would charge the person like 10 bucks and then he'd get into DC and take the metro back down and he would do it all of the morning rush hour. He'd make like 60 bucks doing like six trips. Wow. In like four hours. Some kid out there could just sit and do their, like, homework. Right. Highlight a book. Put some earplugs in them. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Interesting. Um, we may have just found a new way to, I don't know what you call it, like pimp your boat. I don't know, but there's not enough demand, you know. Like, the, it's a small, for as much as duck hunters think it's a large community, and Ducks Unlimited is a pretty significant organization. It's actually not a lot of people compared to the average recreational outdoor enthusiast. Small niche. It takes a lot of gear. It takes a lot of commitment. Tom has a trailer in his driveway in Denver right now just with duck hunting gear for them to drive to Nebraska. You know, if you want to be serious about it, the decoys. chances are you have a dog too. Yeah, I do get in smart enough to hunt birds. I'll go retrieve them. Um, pretty old. So, uh, anyways, the people in you, you can't Maryland. You're talking about Duck hunt, laws about the river rights, the easements in yeah. Iceland, <laughs> so, and everyone speaks English. Everybody speaks English, and they're really good at English. And the kudos to their educational system. We had really positive experiences interacting with people. Now, when you travel as a tourist, you're involved with those who work in the service industry. So on a basic level, they should be nice to you because that's their job, as long as you're not being a jerk, right? Um, so, I mean, I always hear people go like, I went to whatever country, and the people were so nice. It's like, yeah, well, you stay in a hotel. Of course, they can be like, oh, welcome, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but so my wife said about Singapore, where she technically is right now. She said it's like a service industry where where you go in the hotel. Like she's like the first night they need my drink, 
And as soon as they handed me one, they would already get the ingredients ready for the next one. Wow. And I was like, great. And I stayed here and missed iCast. That sounds <laughs> awesome. So, but, you know, outside of that, I would say you know, the Icelandic people were very friendly. Um, and there they understand that salmon brings in money, therefore we protect our resource, the salmon. It's a very regulated resource, and it's it's run by cooperatives of landowners along the major watersheds. So they got their stuff together. They did. They organized, and they um, solicited the help of a guide service and they go in on um, on a, a sort of collective together and then the guide service runs the fishing that's allowed per the state or the country's regulations and then um, the landowners share in the profits of the guide service. How much was it DIY versus you gotta hire some homie to take you down there? Well, um, DIY water is very limited in Iceland. There's something that you can buy called a fishing card and you can buy it on the internet before you go and it has that's basically another collective of landowners that have said, you can fish on our land if you buy this fishing card. Okay? I never encountered anything of the sort called an Icelandic fishing license. It was not run through the state. More like a ski pass? I mean, basically, yeah. Like, you don't have to buy a Colorado skiing license but you have to buy a ticket from Breckenridge to get up the mountain. Yep. Um, so you could have bought that card, but it was mostly lake fishing, which I've never been very good at, fishing flies from shore. Um, unless the fish were already rising to something, and I tried and I threw out what I thought that they were rising to and it caught some fish. But, you know, hiking up to Alpine Lakes in Colorado, like, I Those fish will eat anything, because they rarely see food. Yeah, but I never had a lot of success. Unless it was in the outflow of those in, in small yeah. beaver ponds, I felt like whenever I was up there, whenever fish were down low. And I once saw somebody in the same lake fishing, and what they had was a rig. It was a spinning around rig, and it went to a slide, a slip sinker that was above a swivel, and that swivel was connected to pre-rigged monofilament to try to treble hooks, and they put power bait on that that was that floating. Sounds like my father-in-law. So it would just sit on the bottom of the slip sinker, the two things of power bait floating above it, trout would swim along, eat it, they would see the rod tip, and, and, but that was on the bottom using something that they were smelling Genetically, for. chemically keyed it on. Right. Um, so that fishing card was mostly the lakes. The rivers were all pretty much under what was called the beat system. So the landowners went in on a collective, and then the guide service, along with 
in line with the regulations from country uh, Iceland would um, divide up sections of the rivers in what they called beats. Certain beats, maybe like the downstream, it wasn't always like this, but the down, you know, the first sections, one, first beat, second beat, third beat, whatever. And um, certain beats are better because they have different holes in them or fish are in them at different times during whatever run. Different water level. Right. Year. Like, it's, you kind of get like a wild card. You don't know which one you're going to get. But average beat for the day was $500 reserved in advance. That also included sometimes lodging, but mostly a nice nice shore lunch and then a gourmet dinner back at their spot. And you know, there's not going to be some jabronis just coming down all day and fishing there. You got your own section. Right, because... Fish when you want, take a break when you want. Well, so going back to like water laws and, and water access laws, Landowners in Iceland not only own the land on the shore, also the land underneath the river, which is part of the Western laws here in the States, but also the water itself. Like, you can't even float down it with a kayak. Like, that's theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how it's legally defined, because water is always flowing, but, like, you can't, you're not even allowed to enter in at a bridge and walk down or enter in at a park and walk up. Like, that doesn't happen. It's all private. Like, it's a wholly private system. So, are there maps, like, when you get there and other things just to demarcate where things start and end? Um, there's a map of the river, but I don't think there's a plat book for Iceland. They have, like, a stake in the ground that's got an arrow to the right, arrow to the left. It's mostly private property, um, which these land holdings are huge. And I noticed, like, the average Icelander seemed to be middle to upper class, like, in terms of not how they acted, they, you know, or, like, snootiness, but just in terms of, like, how much stuff they seem to have, like, really nice John Deere tractors, and, it's like... It's gotta cost a little bit to get over there. I mean, yeah, so, like, my question was, where's that income coming from? Tourism is huge, but being a sheep-slash-horse farmer in, like, a fjord, how are you driving a Benz? Like, I mean got to be somewhere. Is there oil yeah. over there? The geothermal energy powers a lot of you their buildings. can't export that. No, but you don't have to pay utilities. Yeah. Maybe you don't have to pay health care. There, there's a nice car payment right there for you. I would want to have a beat to myself all day and swing line through there and then go to some geothermal hot springs. Yeah, that and sounds like pretty much. Um, and what, like, so you also mentioned the dinner there. So what, what was it? Hot dogs? Yeah, so, you know, Iceland's the Arctic, so it's not like, I give them some slack if they don't have amazingly gourmet food. They don't have the light to grow certain things. I mean, they ha- they the- import vegetables, and their grocery stores look totally fine. Small, but fine. But, um, and they, you know, they had salads on menus and stuff like that, but the popular food was pizza, hot dogs, hamburger, like hamburger cheeseburgers. Uh, what we would consider French fries, what we would consider like American fast food, mm-hmm. and gas stations 
um, turned into like hangouts in small towns that literally had that. That was the only thing that was open past 10 o'clock. And uh, like lots of like high energy high school kids, just being high school kids, like working there, goofing around late at night. We had a 15 month old with us who was a wonderful travel companion for the most part. What's the time difference? Was he out of whack? Four hours, but we kept him on East Coast time. So we just stayed up until midnight and got up at nine o'clock. We put him in the bathroom in a portable, like, Bjorn bed crib. So it was dark and uh, he just slept in the same time schedule. It's kind of nice for us. Absolutely. Europe was later. So, um, so he, um, that was relative, I forgot, but, uh, so what your flies? So, so you, you hired a section for the day? No, actually I never. So you, you went up to the public spot with your card? No. Okay. So here's what happened. We were driving in the first part in the West Fjords, and I ran into a fish biologist who explained all of this to me. And he was like, you, in the really rural parts, you can try to jump on a stream, and most streams have brown trout in them, like native brown trout. Um, Some streams have salmon runs in them. Even though they look totally dinky, they produce salmon fry that go out and reproduce. But on all of the streams you're not going to be able to get a beat unless there is a cancellation. So it's worth, like, calling. How long ahead did these things book? I don't know. Like, a ways out enough, because they were pretty much already booked before I started looking, which was a, a month and a half before we went there. I read an article in in uh, TU Magazine about, about ice fishing in Iceland, and... Uh, and explained all this too. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I wasn't into spending a minimum of five hundred dollars to go fishing. I mean, catching big fish is fun, but I thought with a little bit of creativity, I could probably figure something else out. And uh, I only knew about the fishing card because a German dude that I ran into at the end of the trip said. Um, have you heard about this fishing card? And I was like, no, I never heard about that. I saw it on the internet, but I, the website to order it didn't seem like that legit, so I wasn't super psyched on giving money to this website and maybe getting this fishing card or not. Um, but he actually wound up giving me his girlfriend's, but I never used it because it was two days before the end of our trip. So we passed by one of the major um, salmon rivers, like the most heavily sought after fishing river in Iceland in the north part of the country near a city called Blondus and the river is called the Laksa and uh, interesting enough, we stayed at a hotel, I'm starting to get a little bit more jazzed on fishing, right, I've talked to this fish biologist, we've driven over a bunch of water that looks like you know, awesome trout water I've got the five weight that I brought with me, a box of flies. I selected some streamers, some dries I saw online, and uh, and some nymphs. Interesting sidebar: there are no mayflies in Iceland. Mayfly 
in its adult phase, only lives a day, as we know. And the only insects that are on Iceland are the ones that actually got there by by chance. All right. Theory of Island Biogeography, MacArthur and Wilson, 1958. I wish you knew the year, but that, that's, a good, that's a good enough citation for me. Um, so caddis are there, midges are there, but the poor mayfly can't make it across the ocean to get there. Um, so we get to Blondus and we go down into a valley on the road and I see some major tributary that's kind of cloudy because it's coming from a glacier and stuff and um, the way the, these fly fishing vehicles looked was like pretty badass. They had you know oftentimes like a Toyota like a badass Euro version or like what you'd imagine in the safari, Sahara. yeah, right. like a safari Toyota with like, but stock features, right? Like it all looked like something you couldn't even order here. And uh, the way they mounted their rods, have you ever seen guys out west that have the, the, the tubes yeah. that they put on the roof racks? The way they mounted these is they put the reels on the edge of the hood, and then the rods went back through holders that were mounted. The magnet, the T magnets the, on the top of the uh, windshield. So, like, if a car is like this, like yeah. the rods like the are sumo going mount, back. like like a slanted um, antenna, like going back across the windshield. And you don't break the guides off your rods to hold them like that. I've heard that you put them in those tubes and. Bah, bah, bah. I bet. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So uh, we, I saw one of those and some guys wadering up, and they looked pretty intense. Like they had, you know, all of the gear you could possibly imagine Sims out the wazoo. And I was like, okay, yeah, that must be the Laksa, right? Sure enough, when we got to the hotel, I asked, and they were like, yep. Um, and close there was a lake. And I was like, is there, so is there any fishing around here? And he was like, there's a Laksa, good luck, you know, whatever. Some kids that grew up around there, they grow pretty big in the lakes there. They do. And I, I was like, I was like, is there any fishing around here? And he says, yes, uh, you have to buy the permit for, I think it was $20, like 2000 Krona. And, um, I was like, okay, here you go. And it, he just like put it in this petty cash box. It wasn't like it got registered in the state or like anything. It was just. It's basically like pay the landowner to play. So I went out there and later on I learned it was probably foolishly enough. The wind was blowing pretty hard and it wound up raining at one point. But I never tried a dry fly. I only threw streamers. I'm thinking like lake. I'm going to try to make the biggest cast as I can. Nothing. They weren't like... They'd be like, Mayfly, what is that? I must try it. <laughs> um, we'll actually have a surprise for you later in terms of what dry fly had actually been on. All right. Um, so I fished this lake. No luck. I mean, it was nice just to sort of be out there and have this ample casting room for some serious hero casts out in this lake. But uh, never tried a dry fly kind of like chilled 
whatever, 20 bucks, went back home. Actually, I was, uh, when I was gearing up, rigging up my rod, I was listening to Bjork from Iceland, dude. There you go. Yeah, just like, doors open, rocking out. Is there just Bjork Station there? I mean... Bjork 102 FM. Somebody told me, they are like, I'm from Iceland, and people always ask me if I know Bjork. I'm always like, yeah, of course I know Bjork. Bjork babysitted my kid. We all know Bjork. It's a country of 300,000. Like, all right. The only person from Iceland I can name is Good Johnson, who used to play for Barcelona. Interesting. Yeah, other than Bjork. So then we went uh, further around the island, and actually it was on our way back down south. Christina and I, the night before, were on the internet at our hotel, and we're looking at our next hotel. She's reading the description on booking.com, and it said, Trout ponds on the property within walking distance. And I was like, okay, I gotta get off the Schneid here in Iceland. Like, I gotta get the skunk out the bag. I gotta catch at least a fish. I don't care if it's four inches. I wanna catch a native brown trout. I wanna check that off the box, right? Caught a gazillion brown trout in the States. Never caught one in its native. Native. Homeland, right. not imported. Right. And, uh. Sounds like a Donald Trump thing. I mean, I'm like, I have some serious prejudice against non native fish. I don't know. But I'll still catch him. So, Ben Frimsky, who puts on the fly fishing show, I put on Instagram. I just caught my first brook trout in 11 years. He's like, yeah, but. You're from Virginia where they're native, and you come out to Colorado where we don't want them anymore? <laughs> like, exactly. So, are they out competing? They want the cutthroat out there. Yeah, they're in all, every little creek and beaver pond. Yeah, just bonk them all and fry them. Well, they out compete the cutthroat in those headwater areas, which historically were the only areas that they were after the introduction of the brown trout. Then you have the brown trout, brook trout combo. Nope. There's not a huge niche for the cutthroat. Anyways, um, so... so you got a hotel that's I got get, ponds on. I get the there. Right. No, this is going to be funny, dude. I'm talking to the gal at the front desk who is a nice, well-spoken, high-functioning service industry hotel manager. And I'm like... Um, you know, I read online that there were there's a trout pond on the property, and I could, I'd already seen there's a, a creek running through it too. And I'm automatically thinking like fish the creek because I didn't have any luck at the lake. I'm not used to fly fishing lakes. Get a good drift, some nymphs. Like that's what I was thinking. Um, and she's like, yeah, it, the fishing permit doesn't include the river. It's just the pond, it's, and you could actually see it from where we were standing at the desk, through the windows. And it was out about half a mile away. And the pond itself, total, was maybe three acres. Four acres, at most. And I was like, uh, okay, whatever. Um, and I was like, so, is there trout in there? Um... In Iceland, they have, in their inland lakes, they have what they call Arctic trout, which is what 
we think of as a brown trout, they just call it Arctic trout. Arctic trout or um, char, which is like the ancestor of the uh, brook trout. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes they have Alaskan rainbows that are stocked in there. Somebody decided that to just do that. sounds awful. <laughs> um, don't bring was it? You don't bring sand to the beach, right? It's like why? Why did somebody decide to do that? I don't know. So um, she's like, "There's trout and there's cod," and I was like, "There's cod in there?" She's like, "Yeah, sometimes people catch trout and sometimes people." people catch cod. They're like, how did cod get... Mm, and how did, how, how did cod become a... And Coexist with trout. Or like, or, or live... Fresh water. Yeah, decide how to live in fresh water. It's not like they breed in fresh water. Murray cod from Australia? So, um, I was like, okay, and immediately I thought, okay, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Whatever. So, I go out there um, that afternoon, and the fishing permit, by the way, was... 500 krona, which was like $5. So I was like, whatever, dude. Like, if I go out it's there... It's worth the story that we're doing here. Yeah, I'm just going to take a, cast, a couple of casts. So, um, I go out there. Christina has our, our son, Nash, in the room. And I fish for maybe two hours. And, again, pulling streamers. Like, no dry fly. No, like, dead drift nymphs nothing i'm just trying to get my streamer down like putting a ton of weight on it trying to get it down drag it through what's the daylight like are you getting those long yeah hours of daylight yeah sun didn't go down until 10 50 that's dangerous i'd be out there till 11 um it's weird to think about that animal living in that environment just eat, eats all day long yeah like as much as it can so, I do that too. So nothing. Like I'm trying to wade around this sort of boggy, squishy bank, trying to throw a cast out, nothing. Um, that's when I meet the German dude. He's there. I let him know that he had, he had bought the fishing card, had some luck. He bought a fishing guide on a beat and caught like a nice brown trout, but a local brown trout, not a sea run brown trout. And... Um, I was like, yeah, there's fishing out there. So he went and tried, and nothing. And then the, I saw that one part of the pond, the, the, it was kind of like an impoundment, so like a small, small creek flowed, and then they blocked it up, and that creek flowed slowly through a small dam. Right by the impoundment, it was eight feet deep, okay? And like dark blue water. I'm like, okay, maybe this water holds trout. Because further up towards the headwaters, it was heavily sedimented and shallow and looked kind of hot. Um, and uh, next day I get up, I don't know, we did something, and I went out there the next afternoon, and there's no wind, nothing. Perfect calm water. And I saw rises. And I was like, what are they eating? What the hell? So I put on a... They're eating fairies that fell in. It's like the fairy hatch. Right. Like Tinkerbell's all over the water. So I put on a uh, Adams, like searching pattern, whatever, figure it out. Boom, caught my first native brown. And it was... I think I have a picture of it. It was like eight inches. Um, 
Let's see here. Okay, so I'm it's like a fatty. I gotta take a picture of that, and then I released it. Cast out again. No, no, I'm trying to read where it was caught. Am I allowed? To, can I say the name of the place or pronounce it? Is it sure? Secret? Try it. No, Rangjarping Estra. Yeah, I was gonna say the name of the hostel. It's the Hotel Flashshield. And there's all sorts of accent marks. Yeah, it's crazy that the phones know that, right? With geolocation. Yep. And that thing's got like a itty bitty head, and he's got a little tummy on him. So then, a couple. I caught another couple of those size, and then I caught another that was about twelve inches. But look at how small that head is on it. It's itty bitty. And it looked like a really small head, really small jaw, and then this oversized body. And then I decided, okay, my, my Prince Nymph, I caught actually about like seven or eight fish. This is all before like breakfast? No, not Prince Nymph, uh, Adams. No, this is in the afternoon. Okay. Flat water. Um, so my Adams is getting beat to shit. So I put on a different Adams and then, no, I put on the Chernobyl ants that we tied at beer time yeah. with the top yellow and the black bottom and yellow. yeah black and yellow black and yellow so that was one of the first slides that i've tied by myself in a long time and definitely the first fly that i've ever fished that i've ever tied so i put that on in front of a new um adams and lo and behold i caught my first fish on that chernobyl there you go it's like a chernobyl bumblebee right yeah so I'm like, oh, this is awesome, and I'm getting strikes and kind of missing them, and I caught, and maybe that's the same fish. Oh, holy shnikes. And then, here, I'll let you look at yeah, that. Yeah, look at the colors on that thing. And then I went to go fish, like, wow. where, the, where the tributary comes in, and I went back to the deep water, and I oh, cast it out. goodness. And a really subtle take, and all of a sudden, this three-acre pond or whatever. So garbage can. The fish runs halfway across the pond. And I'm like, holy crap, holy crap. This time, I had gone out fishing with my son on my back in the backpack. And so I'm actually starting to kind of like freak out, like trying to play my drag, like realizing that this is a really big fish and a really like completely unexpected in the small body of water, especially since I've been catching these small fish, that this is a, a fish that's over 20 inches. And it's taking runs that are taking me like almost to my backing. And I have 4X tippet on, and it's like... Okay, like, I I think I went, I actually had to retie on my leader, so I had leader to 3x to 4x to the fly. So I have some serious knots in there mm -hmm. that I'm hoping are just going to hold. They did. No net, wound up beaching it, kind of in this little eddy, this little alcove, and positioning, I jumped in with my boots like to make sure it didn't escape. And grabbing it, and it turned out to be close to a 30-inch. Yeah, the thing is, uh, it's going up to your first stripping guide. Yeah. Yeah, that thing is. So, but the thing is, you see how skinny it is, too? 
Sorry, it's... A, I mean, it's long. Yeah. It's, it's long. It has the body of, like, kind of like a sucker, almost. Right. So I go, and that's me tailing it. It was... I had to play it a lot to, to get it in. Clear water. And that's me tailing it. Um, that's fine. But that's as big as the pond was. Like, not very big, man. Did you go back in and show that lady your fish? So I did. And I actually showed the owner, too. Because I liked the place. And I thought, you know, if they wanted to create a catch and release Market. sort of thing, that would be cool. Um, and the owner was like, well, so where is it? And I was like, I put it back in your <laughs> pond, <laughs> right? Like, a fish of that size in a three-acre pond, there's not too many fish that size. That's alpha. Right? That is, it, and it just loved that pattern. Like, that was that was the right moment of the time. So I was talking to the, to the girl from before, and I was showing her the pictures, and she was like, that's not a cod and I was like no that's not a cod she was like well sometimes I see people who catch small fish and sometimes you catch big fish and I just thought the big fish was cod (laughs) no they're both trout and you can't criticize her for that because you know she's not at least she knew what a cod was (laughs) um but uh but yeah so that was that was cool it was a huge fish caught on a fly that we tied you showed me how yeah. to tie at uh at beer tie and uh yeah landed it with my with my son on my back did you get like a selfie at all with him no. these are the bass because i used to be able to lip a bass with my kid <laughs> in a backpack that's pretty good that's pretty good so that did you get that biologist information no man he'd be someone to talk to if i could ever figure out Skype podcasting again. I mean, he was giving me tips on, like, free salmon fisheries in the western fjords. But we had a itinerary, and I only met him the night before the next day. We had to do a five-hour drive to go to what was the, the Laksa. Interesting enough, when I got to the Laksa, I learned that a week before we were there, this is the major like salmon fishing area. That's um, Eric Clapton and Harrison Ford were there fishing together, at, on a beat that cost six thousand dollars a day. This is when I like spit my drink out and go. Six thousand dollars a day. Can I have some more Highland Park? Absolutely. Thank you. At some point, we're trying to get Holt on and do. Like the history of scotch and salmon fishing. I, while we do a scotch class for the podcast. It's good stuff. We're um, yeah. we're going to do a cocktail with this week from uh, Saturday at Dad's Night. It'll be good. Sounds good. Yeah. So where's next? Where are you fishing next? Or is shooting season coming up? Yeah, duck hunting season's coming up. Um, but it, it definitely conflicts with what is a good time to go fishing up in the Shenandoah. Um, you know, it's not great 
Water's got to be low right it's now. It's low. Yeah. But, uh, you know, well, if you're willing to, to hike for it to the upper stretches, it's cold enough so that the fish are still active. And if you're sneaky, I mean, it, there's nothing like approaching a, a pool in the Shenandoah waist deep and like basically standing in a waterfall that's like pouring at you at chest height and like casting to a pool above you and catching uh, even if it's eight inches like a brook trout that just smacks the heck out of a single hopper. Did you know about that type of fishery before you moved here? I did because my dad took my sister who's lived here for nine like eight ten nine eight years um her husband and her on a guided fishing trip on the rapidan yeah um and i fished the rap i mean it's it's a wonderful workhorse of the stream but i like to I like to get blue a line it what? Go blue lining? Yeah. I just like to go a little bit more remote. Yeah. Look on topos and find them. Right. I'd be willing to like go up and over a ridge to get into a drainage that's not accessible by any trailhead, you know? So you got to work to gain elevation and then drop back in again. You weed out a lot of people. Yep. Now I'm giving away my secret here. Just be careful because the top of the ridge might be Skyline Drive and there's cars moving. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever hiked? I like the first hike I did in Shenandoah, I started at the bottom and went up to the top. Well, that's what I do because then you walk to your car downhill. At, and I recommend that any day of the week as opposed to starting at Skyline that and was going down. The opposite in Colorado. My in laws are up at 10 and I'm hiking down towards you know the low nines and then I have to walk uphill. But at least you can fish your way back up. You can? In the blue. Yeah, if there's not too many people standing in one spot for three hours with size 20 midges not catching anything. <laughs> I'll just step around you. Oh, I caught a fish right above you. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing. It's one thing I don't miss about fishing a lot of those tailwaters. Tailwaters in general tend to be... Te- super technical. Well, Bitties. technical and crowded. But like a lot of guys standing cheek by jowl and uh, Dream Stream was pretty crowded when we were there. Was it? Yeah, people walking around us like, oh, gotta stop my back cast, got a group of three going behind me. That'll be nothing compared to the Salmon River though. Are you going to fish the Salmon? Yeah, you should come up. When? Election week. To New York? Yeah. I can't do that. Might have to bleep that out. Make it a mystery. Yeah. Big podcast up there. Well, we'll redo it. Um, so you're going to a uh, uh, tributary of the Great Lakes? Indeed. Yes. The same one. Already time flies. Working on a new stonefly. Jelly cord stonefly. What is this for? Steelhead. I got the new OPST dubbing spinner, so it's pretty sweet. I think it'll just spin forever. Stop it, and you got a perfect dubbing brush. Dubbing loop. Good times. Yep. 
All right. Any other buddy you want to plug out there or give shout outs to from your vacations? Um, no, I mean, Spinnerfall, they cut treated as well. And Different you know, type of hot dog to get? Um, <laughs> like shark versus puffin? If you're, if you're traveling with a 15 year old yeah. or 15 month old, 15 month, month old, then it's probably better to uh, eat at gas stations than it is to sit down at a fancy restaurant. Wait, a fancy restaurant? What is that? I don't know. <laughs> it was like $40 a plate for... Uh, I just... Wait till he gets older. You can't go anywhere. We're trying to get to Chewy's, though. Might go there for dinner tomorrow night. Well, family restaurants, too. The equivalent thereof is uh, gas stations, I think. I can dig a gas station. Yeah, when you get down to Shenandoah's, if you can eat the gas stations around Charlottesville, they got some good sandwiches. I don't doubt it. Yeah, they're not normal, just like blimpies. They got real food in there. All right, Max. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Hope you yeah. all enjoyed uh, the little podcast. That's a good one. Jason, do y'all thing. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv